the point of that video is to remind us that we are in the middle of a project asking God to use us to raise money to uh, drill a well, clean water well, uh, for a poor community uh, in India. And so uh, between now and April 14th, uh, asking you to do what you can to save money, if it's uh, giving up your triple mocha extravaganza, whatever it is, and uh, setting that money aside, or if you're like that guy and have a serious drinking problem, um, whatever it takes, uh, just ask God to, uh, to use you and, and think about what you could contribute. The goal is $5,000. That's what it'll cost to uh, drill the well. So between now and April 14th, if you want to just, you can write on the check, water project, or you can put it on uh, the envelope, turn that in, and uh, we're going to ask God to use us to uh, give people the gift of clean water and tell them about the water of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friday night was the first of two concerts of prayer we're doing leading up to Easter. And the reason we're having these concerts of prayer is because we're convinced that God is the one who draws people to himself, uh, uses us to uh, make a difference, and we really want God to do that as well, we want him to do it all the time, and especially we want him to do it on Easter when we have that special opportunity to uh, invite friends and neighbors and coworkers to hear the good news. So uh, we had a sweet time of prayer Friday night, and uh, if you weren't able to be at that one, I want to encourage you to be at the next one, which is on Good Friday, May, uh, March, March 29th. So put it on your calendar, plan to join us, and be down in the gym. Great time of drawing near to the Lord and, and asking him to work through us, to do what he alone can do. So I hope you can be a part. Let's pray together as we get ready to look into God's word together. Uh, Father, that video reminds me once again how much I have to be thankful for uh, and how rich I really am. Thank you for what seem to be little things that we take for granted, like clean water, but it's, it's not little at all. Thank you for all your good gifts. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given his life that we might have life. And now we pray you would open up our minds and hearts to hear and believe and respond to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our series is called Do Good from the book of Titus, and uh, it's all about God's plan to make our lives better. Would you like God to make your life better? Of course you would. But I wonder what you think of when you hear that, because here's what I mean. Uh, God's plan is not necessarily to... Uh, make our lives better in terms of making them easier, making our lives more convenient, making us wealthier, uh, making our lives more fun, necessarily. Although, considering all that God has done for us in Jesus and all that God promises to do for us in Jesus, really, Christians ought to be the most outrageously joyful people on the planet. And if we're not, of course, you know, we, we get 
down in the dumps like anybody, but uh, if, if you're not joyful as a believer in Jesus, uh, maybe you're, you're spending too much time listening to the wrong voices instead of listening to Jesus himself and what he says is true of us. Okay, but here's what I mean by God making our lives better, his plan to make our lives better. What I mean by that is God making us better people. People who are more like Jesus. People who act more like Jesus. God's plan is to change our lives. God's plan is to use us to make a difference. And the main way we make a difference in this world is by trusting Him and enabling us to do good. To do good. And we're still at the beginning of the book. This book's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his co-worker Titus. And the interesting thing is, the first thing Paul says to Titus, Titus was working with a number of churches uh, in, in the cities of Crete, which is an island in the Mediterranean. The first thing Paul tells Titus to do is to make sure that each one of those churches has a group of elders to oversee them, to serve as their spiritual shepherds. And what we learn from this is that those of us who are believers in Jesus need elders to provide spiritual leadership for us so that we can do good, so that we can do good. I said last time, We need elders to show us what's good. We need elders to teach us what's good. We need elders to point out and refute what is not good. You might think, well, why? Well, here's here's the deal. Without God's word, we become confused about what is truly good and what isn't. And so God has given us elders who have the responsibility to make sure that churches are hearing and understanding and living out the truths of God's Word. That's elders, that's a key responsibility that elders have. And so uh, it's a good thing for us to have elders. It helps us to do good. So Paul wants to make sure that Titus makes sure that every church is led by a group of qualified elders. And that brings us to the issue of qualifications. Who are these guys? What are they to be like? Who's supposed to do this? Okay, so I want you to look with me. We're in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And there should be a note sheet in your folder, and the words will be up on the screen. Open up a Bible, if you wish, to Titus chapter 1, and we'll pick it up at verse 9. So this is the word of the Lord for us. Titus, or Paul, says to Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, 
He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he is to be, he must be hospitable, one who loves what's good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay. You'll notice Paul does not tell Titus to just grab a few warm bodies and put them in charge of the church. Um, You know, hey, Titus, churches need elders. So find, find some who, who don't have anything better to do and, and give them the job. No, he doesn't do that. In fact, Paul lays out here some very specific qualities of spiritual leadership that these guys need to have. So we're going to take a closer look at those qualities, what they are. And you might be thinking, why? You might wonder why you should care about this, especially if you're not an elder. Why should you care what elders are to be like? Well, clearly, God thinks it's important because it was God's idea to spell out these qualities of spiritual leadership for us. And that means we should not only understand these qualities, we should value them because God values these qualities very highly. We should hold these qualities in high esteem. And so before we get into the details and look at these qualities, I just want to give you some practical ways that we can value these qualities of spiritual leadership. Okay, One way we do that, we value the qualities of spiritual leadership when we choose elders who have these qualities. We're to choose elders that have these qualities. That's how we value, one way we value them. Think about what God has done for us here. By inspiring Paul to write these qualities down and include them in Scripture, God has given us His standards for those who would shepherd us. We don't have to wonder what God expects of those who shepherd a church. He's told us. And that means then that we are responsible to use these standards in choosing our elders. And if we value these qualities, that's exactly what we'll do. We won't be indifferent to these qualities. We will value them. We will choose elders that have them. Another way to value them Pray for your elders to maintain these qualities. Pray for your elders to maintain these qualities. If you've been a Christian for more than a day, you know that spiritual growth is a lot like riding a bicycle uphill. You only make progress as long as you keep on pedaling. Now, that's not true if you're going downhill or even if you're on a level place. You, you can coast. You can't do that uphill. What happens if you stop pedaling when you're going up a hill? You start going downhill in a hurry. You start going backwards. 
Well, the spiritual equivalent of pedaling uphill is relying on Jesus. And we all need to do that all the time. And elders are no exception. And relying on Jesus means mainly asking Him for help and doing what He says. That's, how, that's the main way we rely on Jesus. And that's what we all need to do all the time. Elders not excluded. See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much we've attained. It doesn't matter how much progress we've made how much progress you've made. Nobody ever gets to the place where they can coast. Nobody ever gets to the place where they no longer need to pedal. So pray for your elders to keep pedaling. Pray for your elders to keep growing. Pray that they will keep relying on Jesus. It's absolutely critical. I I find this very sobering, really. Very sobering, You know, one of the biggest challenges of spiritual leadership, it's not starting well, it's finishing well. I find it very sobering that history is full of so many church leaders who started well, who did well, but then got caught up in some sin, some scandal before they crossed the finish line. Satan seems to delight in attacking churches by trying to trip up their leaders. So pray. Pray that your elders will walk closely with Jesus. Pray that they will keep growing in these qualities and not get tripped up by Satan's schemes. So we value these qualities, choosing elders who have them, praying for the elders to maintain them, and third, You value these qualities when you aspire to have these qualities yourself. Aspire to have these qualities yourself. Think about it. If leaders are supposed to have these qualities in order to be an example to everybody else, well, that means that everybody else ought to follow their example and strive to have these qualities also, right? I mean, it's not that elders need to have these, but nobody else needs to, you know. It's that elders are to have them in order to encourage all of us to pursue these qualities as well. So as we're reading down through the list, you know, and you come to something like, I don't know, self-control, We're not supposed to read that and say, oh, well, self-control, that's an elder thing. (laughs) You know, that's not me. I don't need to be like that. Sure you do. Sure you do. Jesus wants all of us to be self-controlled. Elders are just supposed to lead the way. Don't sell yourself short ever. Don't say, well, I'm just not leadership quality. I, I just can't be that way. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. This is not about being flawlessly perfect. Nobody's there. This is about consistency. This is about general pattern. This is about lifestyle, and you can all be like this. We all need to be like this. 
This is about, you know what this is? This is about pursuing Jesus. This is about relying on Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and bearing His fruit. You know, God is much more concerned about your direction than your current location. You might think about where you're at today spiritually, your current location, you think, well, that's not so good. Yeah, but where are you going? Where are you headed? What's your direction? We, we value these qualities when we read them and we say, I want to be like that. I need to be like that. Lord, help me be like that. So choose elders who have these qualities. Pray for your elders to maintain these qualities. Inspire to have these qualities yourself. Okay, that's how we value them. Now we're going to go through them. We're going to go through the list one at a time. There's 17 of them. I don't do many 17-point sermons. (laughs) But I'm doing one today. All right, so we're going to go through them one at a time. I'm going to spend more time on some than others because a lot of them are self-explanatory. And I'll elaborate on those that maybe aren't. All right, here we go. First one, team player. Team player. Say, I I don't remember reading that. Well, verse 5. Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in every town. And the way that he says it, the grammar here indicates that every town... Again, this is in the day when there's one church in a town. It's not like today. Every church needs to have elders, plural. This is the consistent pattern throughout the New Testament. Churches are always led by a team of elders. Not by a solo elder, solo overseer, solo pastor. There are many, many examples in Scripture of leadership teams for churches. There are no examples of solo church leadership. Not one. And I think this is a very important... I I think there's a very important reason for this, which desperately needs to be recaptured today. And the reason is... Well, there are many reasons, but this is the one I think is most important. A team of elders makes it less likely that we will look to any one mere man as the head of the church instead of to Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Plural leadership helps us avoid the very natural human tendency to idolize strong individuals. You know, it's interesting, I... I, we do this all the time. I, I constantly hear people refer to you know, a church and talk about the pastor of that church. There is no such animal in the Bible, except one exception. It's interesting. If you look up all the uses of the word shepherd or pastor in the New Testament, it's the same word, by the way, in the original. Shepherd, pastor, same thing. You look up all the examples, there's only one person who is ever called the shepherd or the pastor of the church. That's Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 5, verses 2 through 4. 
which is addressed to church elders, plural. Peter says, I appeal to the elders among you. And it says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Elders serve as shepherds underneath the authority and direction of the pastor, the shepherd of the church, Jesus. Christ is the head of the church, and nobody else is. Nobody else is. Lone Ranger church leadership is not biblical, and it's not healthy. And I could go on and on about this, but I'm going to restrain myself. Elders need to be team players. Second, blameless. Blameless, or another word you could put is above reproach. What does that mean? Well, this means having a reputation for integrity, especially by people who are outside of the church. This is somebody who is known for being honest and fair and law-abiding. And the idea is they're not one way inside the church and a whole different way outside of the church. You know, inside the church, yeah, yeah, they're great. Outside of the church, he abuses his wife and children. He cheats on his taxes. He runs red lights. (laughs) He's a lousy, lazy employee or a lousy, lazy, tyrannical boss. Blameless means inside the church, outside of the church, he strives to live by the same standards. Why? So as not to give any ammunition to God's enemies. People are always looking to embarrass and disgrace churches. Blameless. Third, husband of one wife. This would be better translated a one-woman man. It's talking about a quality. One woman man means that he is loyal to his wife, mind, heart, and body. He's not flirtatious. He does not seek the affections of other women. He does not welcome the affections of other women. He does not think that gazing at other women's bodies is just harmless fun. He finds and pursues his satisfaction in one woman alone, his wife, period. Now this raises the question, does this rule out a divorced person from ever serving as an elder? No, not necessarily. It does raise the issue of why there was a divorce. And what's happened since. Elders need to value and demonstrate faithfulness. We all do. We all do. Number four, whose children believe. Here again, a different translation would be better. Having faithful children. And faithful in the sense of being obedient and respectful to their parents. Because the point here is not so much what the children believe. Oh, you know, that's important. Because these children should be being taught the truth. 
But the focus here is not so much on what they believe, it's how they behave. And that's made clear in the next line. They're not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. The issue is what kind of leadership dad demonstrates at home. Not iron-fisted tyranny. Not hands-off, do-nothing, let the kids go crazy. Let the wife handle everything. Godly, genuine servant leadership in the home. Who knows how to say no to children when they need to be said no to and how to enforce the rules with grace. Same quality is mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Which brings us to number five, a steward. A steward. Verse 7 says that an overseer is entrusted with God's work. God's work. The idea here is of stewardship. God's work is a trust. It's not a right. And the emphasis here, see, a steward is not an owner. A steward is a manager of someone else's stuff. And the thing that's in view here is the church. The church belongs to God. Elders need to remember that. You know what? Everybody needs to remember that. It's not our church. It's not our church. It's God's church. Sometimes people get this idea that the church ought to do things their way. Because, I don't know, you name the reason. They helped start the church, or they give a lot of money to the church, or they've done a lot for the church. Listen, what you and I want the church to be like is irrelevant. Irrelevant, because it doesn't belong to us. It's God's church. It's not ours. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the church is God's household, and the elders manage God's household for God. It's His. Number six, not overbearing To put it positively, this is the quality of humility. Humility. As opposed to being stubborn, arrogant, pig-headed. You know, sometimes people get this idea that strong leadership means you know how to make everybody do what you want. It's not biblical leadership to demand that everybody do everything your way. Number seven, not quick-tempered. That's pretty self-explanatory. I read that and thought, well, what's that supposed to mean? (laughs) Okay, this means not easily provoked to anger, not argumentative. Have you known people who like to argue about everything? It doesn't matter what you say. Oh, it's a beautiful day today. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Argumentative. 
or, or people who get mad about everything. Wow, this, this is a big one. This takes a lot of work. There's a lot of things that can make you mad. But that's not Christ-like. Jesus wants us to be patient. Long-suffering. Wow. Not quick-tempered. Number eight, not given to drunkenness. Any questions? It's pretty self-explanatory. Not addicted to intoxicants. Not prone to medicate, self-medicate with drugs or alcohol just to try to fix all their problems that way. Nine, not violent. What's this mean? Well, to be violent is to use force or intimidation to get other people to do what you want. You know, raising your voice, slamming your fist, slamming the door, or worse. Forcing others into compliance is not biblical leadership. It's being a bully. We're not to force people to comply with, with violence, threats, intimidation, and so on. Number 10, not pursuing dishonest gain. Godly leaders are not to be greedy in love with material wealth. The Bible calls that a form of idolatry. You know that? Think about that. Greed is a form of idolatry. You know why? Because what it means is we're looking for our security and satisfaction in money instead of in God. You, you can't be committed to getting your satisfaction through money and finding your satisfaction in God at the same time. If, if uh, you know, obviously money matters, it's good that we work hard. We're supposed to. God uses money to meet our needs, but there's a big difference between looking to money to give you security and looking to God to provide your ultimate security. Number 11, hospitable. Hospitable. This means making other people feel welcome, making people feel wanted. As opposed to being cold, distant, aloof, indifferent to people. This is genuinely caring about people. Number 12, loves what is good. Loves what is good. I think it's really important to notice here what it doesn't say. It doesn't say knows what's good. It doesn't say understands what's good. It says loves what's good. How do you love what's good? You want it. You want what's good. You desire what's good. You pursue what's good. So loving what's good. 13, self-controlled. Self-control. This is saying no to yourself when necessary. And it's always necessary sometimes. The ability to say no to yourself when necessary. Not being swept away by your desires, thinking, well, because I want it, it must be a good thing. 
Now, this is huge because our culture is totally insane on this. Totally insane. Our culture acts like self-control is impossible. That's why abortion needs to be a right, because obviously there's no way people can say no to sex outside of marriage. That's crazy. Self-control is not impossible. That's simply not true. This idea that somehow if you really want it, if it's a strong desire, it must be okay and it should be a right. That is not what God says. We all have to say no to some things we want sometimes. And, you know, this is not doing without just for the sake of doing without as if that somehow makes us holy. It doesn't. It's saying no to one thing so you can say yes to something better. You say no to this so you can say yes to this. Say no to self so you can say yes to God. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about self-denial. It's not, oh, well, I just, I won't, I won't ever eat again. Or I won't eat anything that tastes good. That's self-denial. No, it's not. That's stupid. Self-denial is saying no to this so I can say, yes, it's saying no to premarital sex so I can say yes to sex in marriage where it's meant to be and where it's beautiful. It's saying no to gluttony so I can say yes to good health or whatever. Self-control. 14, upright. Upright means righteous. Probably here in the sense of being fair and honest in how you treat others. As in, you don't cheat people, you don't rip people off. You're fair, you're honest, upright. 15, holy. This is the quality of honoring God, of giving God the proper place in your life because you love Him and you trust Him and you want to honor Him. Holy. 16, disciplined. Discipline means careful as opposed to impulsive. It means not immediately saying or doing whatever pops into our heads, but thinking carefully, wisely. And it means not being lazy. To be self-disciplined means to be diligent, to be responsible. And finally, number 17, holding firmly to the faithful message. Now, I talked about this last week, but what this means for us is being true to the Scriptures. That's holding fast to the faithful message, holding firmly. Okay, it means knowing and believing and proclaiming the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ as it has been given to us. It means knowing, believing, trusting the things that God has taught us in his word. These are the qualities of spiritual leadership. These are the qualities that those in positions of spiritual leadership need to model for everybody else. These are the qualities that we should all be pursuing. We should all be praying for. We should all be asking God to develop in our lives. 
These are the qualities that Jesus Christ, the head of the church, wants us all to value. Value these qualities. Now I'm going to wrap this up with a couple of commitments about uh, comments about our situation here at Philida. First of all, I want you to know what an honor it is to serve this church along with five other men as your elders. I wish I could adequately express what a privilege it is to know these guys, to work with these guys, to partner with them, to share with them equally the responsibility of shepherding God's flock here at Philida. These men love Jesus, and they love you. And they want to follow Jesus faithfully because he really is the pastor, the shepherd of the church. And if you are a church member, then one of these men is committed to praying for you and your family at least once a week. We just reorganized our list because the church just added another guy to our team, Dan Abbott, so we've, we've reorganized. And if you're wondering who your elder is, uh, I'm planning to send out an email soon to let you know. If you don't have an email address, you'll probably get it via postcard or something. It's going to take a little longer, but you'll get it. I would really like you to know who, who for you members, who your elder is for, for a couple of reasons. I really want you to feel the freedom that when you have a prayer need, you can contact your elder directly because he would love to pray for you. He prays for you now. Also, if you have other needs or other concerns, or if you want some counsel, by all means, contact your elder. And listen, when he contacts you and asks you how you're doing, tell him honestly. He can keep a secret. And if he gives you some encouragement or some challenge, listen to him. Listen to him. He really doesn't want to bother you. He wants to pray for you. He wants to help you if he can. Now, you can always approach any of us, but your elder is the one who prays for you the most frequently. And of course, any prayer request you turn in on the Connect cards, and we're getting ready to turn those in here in a minute, so you might start thinking about that. Uh, any prayer request you put on that gets shared with all the elders, and all the elders pray, whether you're a member or not. Now, if you're not a member, I really want to strongly encourage you to consider becoming one. Why? Because that's how we know who we are responsible for. That's how we know who we're responsible to pray for most consistently. That's how we know who has made the commitment to be a part of this church family and who has given us permission to serve as their spiritual overseers. And we've got our Philida 101 class coming up here in a few weeks in April. And uh, that's a great way to uh, find out what's involved in being a member. So think about it. Seriously. Value the qualities of spiritual leadership. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your uh, amazing love. Lord, you didn't just 
speak to us the gospel and then leave us alone. But Lord, for those of us who have said yes, you have, you have won our hearts. And for those who are here and haven't yet said yes, I pray that today or soon you will win their hearts. Help them believe and say yes to you. And even then, Lord, you don't leave us alone, but you gather us in churches and you lead us. Lord Jesus, this church is yours. Let it be what you want it to be. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.